Are you ready to take control of your wealth and design the life you envision for yourself and your family? Welcome to Wealth of Insight with Austin Wittenberg from Wittenberg Wealth Partners. Austin guides you through the entire planning process to help you build a plan that seeks to protect your financial future. He empowers you with creative investment opportunities and planning ideas to help you understand and achieve your long-term goals. It's time to gain confidence in your financial future. Now, onto the show. Welcome back to the Wealth of Insight podcast. I'm your host, Austin Wittenberg, joined with joined by, excuse me, Wendy McConnell today. I guess I should just start calling you my co-host at this point. Well, hello there. <laughs> Thanks for joining again today. Thanks Helping for having make me. sure this works out all right. You know, I've been been running across a lot of clients recently who work for companies who give out employee stock options or restricted stocks. So I wanted to talk through that today because it's going to be a really critical part of somebody's financial plan. And there's all sorts of tax and other sort of complications to it. So we're going to dive into that today. All right. So, and we've definitely started to see this become more and more common amongst companies for a number of reasons. And, you know, there are a handful of tax reasons for the business. We're not going to worry about getting into that today, but certainly giving employees stock ends up being a really good way to motivate those employees because now they take some ownership of this entity that they are a part of, right? So that's one of the reasons companies are doing it as part of their compensation package. Also, they don't have to give the employees cash. They can give them this stock that, you know, sort of hanging out there like a carrot, I guess you could say, right? But it's becoming more and more common, especially as this world that we live in shifts a lot towards technology companies and those types of companies. That, that's really where we're starting to see it. So according to the National Center for Employee Ownership, which is something I'd never heard of before, but um, they say that there's about 14 million employees in the United States who are covered by a stock option plan. If you expand that out, there's a few other things we're not going to get you know, th that can mean a number of things, I guess I should say. Um, we're going to focus on just two main types today, stock options and restricted stock, but there's a number of other smaller things. So I, you know, I really do think that number is quite a bit bigger. Before we dig into this, I'm going to just run through a few quick key terms that I'm going to say, just so everybody knows, hey, this is the definition of, of these words, because there is some, some lingo here that's specific to stock options that may be new to a lot of listeners. So the first is the grant date. The grant date is the date that the company gives the employee their stock options or restricted stock. The second is their vesting date where they set up, you know, so companies will set up a vesting schedule. So that's the day or number of days. Typically there's, you know, let's say a common vesting schedule would be over the course of say four time periods, four years or four quarters. Okay. So that vesting date is the date when those options or restricted stock that you receive, you actually have the ability to do something with, whether you want to exercise those options or sell the restricted stock. That's the day that you actually have access to do so. There's an exercise price. So that's the price at which you can exercise or purchase those stocks. That's another benefit here we'll get into is typically that exercise price is lower than what the current stock price is. And then there's the expiration date. So 
if the you know they set up a schedule for you that grant based on the grant date then these there's all these vesting schedules now with options you don't have to do anything on the vested date but there is an expiration date so you'll want to watch to make sure that those options don't expire before you decide hey i want to use them or not and one of the reasons you may not want to vest or not want to exercise your options or buy that stock is they vested a, they granted those stocks to you on a certain date at a certain price and let's maybe your stock price for the company is lower at the at today than it was when they vested then you may you may not want to overpay for the stock right so those are a number of key terms we will get into or that you'll hear me mention sort of throughout the day here I think I have even a more basic uh, definition I need to explain. What's a restricted stock? Yes. So we will get into that. But so there are that restricted stock is a stock typically that they give you that. So by definition, that word restricted, right? It's got some restrictions on it. When you can sell it, what you can do with it. Can you move it? Can you transfer it? So typically a restricted stock, and we'll get into this a little bit more towards the end, just places restrictions on being able to sell it or transfer it to somebody else. It's restricted to that employee and these certain guidelines, depending on your rank in a company, the higher up you go, there are different levels of restrictions where you may have only certain windows in which you can sell stock and that gets reported publicly so that the public knows, hey, the CEO of X company selling a stock, is that a good sign or a bad sign? Right. So it places some restrictions. Like okay. that. Does that make sense? Kind of. <laughs> Sometimes I, yeah, I know it's not the best to define a word by using the same word, which is sort of <laughs> what I just did there, but we'll, we will get into it more and hopefully it will yes, it'll make explain sense more. But the biggest point. thing to remember with restricted stock is it's restricted from being able to transfer to somebody else or to sell until you get outside of the restriction. So they just place some parameters upon over that stock. Got it. Okay. So we'll start with options here. Then we'll get into the restricted stock at the end. So as I mentioned, the benefit of a stock option primarily is that you are given the ability to buy shares in the future at a fixed price, even if the market of the market price of that stock is higher than what you're what I mentioned, exercise prices. So that's the primary benefit. Now you have that vesting schedule, but let's say, so a typical example would be an, an employer will give someone, give an employee, maybe when they're a new hire or as part of an incentive package, or they'll say, okay, here's a thousand shares at a certain price. Those are going to vest 250 shares per year over the next four years. So each year you have the ability to buy 250 shares of that stock. So let's say the exercise price is 10 and the stock price is $30. When you vest, you can now buy for $10, something that is worth $30. So that's the benefit, right? Okay. So now again, you got to wait till your vested date. And sometimes, like I mentioned, that stock may be five dollars and you have the option to buy it for 10 that's a scenario when hey maybe you don't want to to worry about that so now there is some what they would call economic value to you as an employee if you can buy something for 10 and it's worth 30 so that's where 
the taxation comes in. So there's two different, primarily two different types of stock and the type of option, stock option that you have impacts the tax that you will pay. So that's going to be the most critical thing. If you're an employee out there who has stock options, you really need to know which type of options these are. So the two main types are non-qualified stock options. You may see that as an NSO or incentive stock options, an ISO. The biggest difference between those two outside of the taxes is just eligibility. With non-qualified stock options, companies can give those to almost anybody. So employees, certainly, but outside consultants or board members or advisors to the company. Incentive stock options can only go to the employees. So that's not really that important. You'll know which one, you know, where you sort of fit, but the taxation of those two, like I mentioned, is different. So that's the most critical piece here. So we'll start with the non-qualified stock options. In the case of a non-qualified stock option, you pay taxes upon exercise. So back to my example, there's your exercise price on your option is 10. Your The market price of your stock is 30. There's a $20 difference there. So you're going to pick up as income taxes that $20 difference per share. So that's really important to you for you to know. Now, a lot of the times these companies will have what they call a cashless exercise where you don't necessarily have to put up any cash to buy that stock for 30. They just handle it all through the payroll system and they can even net out the taxes for you. Mm. So they'll, they'll auto, you know, most of the time I should say those taxes will be automatically dealt with through your payroll system. So you're not, but that just means you're going to get less money hit your bank account or, you know, if, if you're going to sell them, at the time now, if you're going or less stock, if you decide, hey, I don't want to actually sell my stock, I want to keep the stock that I bought, even though you have to pick up some taxes, you can at least sell a portion to pay the taxes that you may owe. Gotcha. So you pay, you bought it for 10, it was worth 30. So you picked up a little bit of tax in the meantime. Now, as with all stocks, right, there are capital gains that you may pay also in the future. So if you bought it for 30 or bought it for 10, it was worth 30. And then in the future, it grows to be 55. Then you will pay long-term capital gains rate on the difference between the market price on the date you exercise your options and what you sold it for. So even oh, they you, always get it, don't they? Yeah, they always yes. get their hand in there. <laughs> you are not going to be able to avoid taxes. That Coming is and true. Going. <laughs> yeah. So just all of these things are important to to keep in mind. And then, so another important thing there, and we've talked about this in past episodes, but the difference between long-term capital gains and short-term capital gains. So once you've exercised your option, if you want to pay long-term capital gains, which is typically a lower percentage tax, you've got to hold that stock for at least a year. Depending on the type of options, there are instances where really in order to get the most favorable treatment, they're going to want you to hold it for two years from the exercise. But that'll be sort of plan specific. We're not, we don't need to spend too much time there today. So that's non-qualified stock options. You pay tax upon exercise. So the stock, you vest, you decide, hey, I want to exercise these because of the gap. 
Now, it is typical with options like this that you wait closer to expiration date, unless you there are instances where, hey, I know I want this money because I want to sell the tax and I want to take advantage of the stock price. But oftentimes it makes a lot of sense to wait till you get closer to the expiration of that option. Because if you, let's say you, again, back to our example, it's worth 30, you paid 10, you paid tax on that 20, but something happens to the company or the markets go down. And now that's only worth 20. You paid 10, it's worth 20, but you paid tax on it like it was worth 30. That's something you want to try to avoid. So it's most common that you're going to wait closer to expiration to exercise these options to prevent the risk of the stock price moving against what you already paid taxes on, right? Something again, to, to just pay attention to and work with your advisor on. Okay. So that was non-qualified stock options. The next one I mentioned was incentive stock options. These are typically seen as more advantageous for the employee. So because that exercise date is not considered a taxable event in that case. There may be certain instances, depending on your level of income and different IRS rules and what's called alternative minimum tax, which again, is not something I want to get into today. But if you're subject to AMT, you know it and your advisors know it and they'll help you through this. But then the nice thing about incentive stock options for most people is that that exercise is not a taxable event. In this instance, you don't, pay the taxes until you actually sell your shares down the road. So back to the example, you guys are going to get sick of me saying this. It's worth 30. You bought it for 10. In this instance, you don't pay tax on that 20. Now, if you hold the stock for more than a year, you'll get that long-term capital gains tax rate. So you can really drop the tax rate there. If you have incentive stock options, it can make a big difference on total value that ends up in your bank account as a result. And this is where you know, I mentioned there's sort of a two-year window in some instances. This is where if you want to get the most preferred tax treatment, the incentive stock options must be held for two years from the grant date and one year from the exercise date. So depending on your grant and your vesting schedule, there's a lot of things that go into that. And if you exercise too early or and you sell things, then they, you know, then you may be reverted back to the worse tax treatment. So that's what we want to make sure. Again, it's really important for you to know if are these incentive stock options or non-qualified stock options. Okay. Okay. So that is stock options. There's a lot there. It's really complicated. You definitely want to make sure your CPA, your financial advisor are making these, helping you make these decisions. We run through a lot of scenarios with clients, showing them the tax impact of different different granting, investing, and exercising schedules to figure out how do we make sure we can maximize the the amount of money that ends up in your pocket and less going to the IRS, even though we know they're going to get theirs right yeah. at some point. <laughs> oh, okay. Restricted stock. So I'm going to get back now to your question, Wendy, to give you a little bit more detail there and try to not use the same word to define the word. We'll here. see. Yeah, we'll so I will restricted stock. The, the dictionary definition is restricted stock is a form of executive compensation where non-transferable shares are issued to employees that come with conditions on the timing of the sale. So I probably should have just read that the first time you asked the question because I think that <laughs> explains it a little bit better than me just rambling on. But 
So non-transferable shares with conditions on the timing of the sale. And that restriction, first of which is going to be a vesting period, like I mentioned. So just like options, these restricted stock are also going to have that vesting schedule that comes with them. But again, a critical component here, the vesting schedule works slightly differently than options. And we'll get into that here in just a second. Restricted stock is most commonly used as that sort of carrot for the employee, the sort of form of motivation, because they're not having to when the restricted stock vests, that all just comes to you. You don't have to actually put up any money. Whereas with the options, as I mentioned, you had to come up with the $10 per share to get the 30 with restricted stock. They just give you all the stock. You don't have to actually pay for any of it. Okay. So that's why it's a little more commonly used sort of as that incentive structure to motivate the employees to, and encourage them to work hard. So the stock price goes up, et cetera. Right. So restricted stock, you know, it provides and and you see these, I should mention with any of these, whether they're it's most commonly used in publicly traded companies, but private companies can utilize a lot of these strategies as well to incentivize their employees. And sometimes at those smaller private companies, companies do feel a little bit more ownership over I can actually impact the value of this. Whereas if you work at Apple or Google or these those types of companies, yes, you're still getting restricted stock and stock options, but you probably, I guess I, I don't work there, so I don't know for sure, but I would guess if you work at Apple, you don't feel super in control of how the whole company does itself, right? It's such That's a large probably company. a safe bet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you still have a share in those company, but there's no value to you on the day they're granted, right? So again, granting those vesting time periods it vests and this is also where you will typically do what's called a sell to cover so the, if the stock is worth thirty dollars and you have a hundred shares they all vest to you but you have to pick up that as that as taxes so you're not going to come out of pocket to pay for those shares but there is still tax implications typically again you will sell shares to cover the tax of that so before we, uh, you know, I'll finalize the tax piece here in just a second, because there's two different types of restricted stock. So again, you want to know which one you have. It's a little bit easier to understand which type of restricted stock you have as opposed to the options. You know, it's going to be laid out in the option agreement. So the two different types of restricted stock here are restricted stock units, most commonly known as RSUs or restricted stock awards or RSAs. Now I will say RSUs are the most common I run into here. It's very rare that I run into somebody with RSAs, but they do exist and we have had to, to deal with them in the past. With RSUs, that restricted stock unit, it's a promise made to the employee to give you a number of shares at a certain date. The different, the primary difference between RSUs and RSAs is RSUs, you don't actually get the stock you just get the option, you know, the ability to be given the stock in the future and you have no voting rights. Again, in a large company like Apple, voting rights aren't going to really matter because the people that own the most shares are going to have the most voting rights. In a smaller company, that may be more important to you. With a restricted stock award, you do have voting rights and you typically are given the actual stock as opposed to just a promise that you will be given the stock. And so as far as the taxation of those, 
The taxation of restricted stock, again, is really complicated. There's a number of calculators out there, but you want to make sure you do it right the first time because a lot of it is handled automatically. So you want to know what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. So typically with restricted stock, when they vest, you will pick up that, as I mentioned, that value on day one vesting as income for whatever the value that of the stock that you just received. And then we get back into this long-term versus short-term capital gains piece of once it's vested to you, how long do you hold on to it? So restricted stock, you, you know, you'll pay that capital gain or loss depending on the date that you sell it. And it's, but it's ordinary income in the year that it vests. So again, similar to the options that year you exercise your option, you pay ordinary income on that difference. With restricted stock, you pay ordinary income on the total value of that grant that came to you and then move to long-term, short-term capital gains, depending on how long you hold on to that stock. No so because of that instant tax, you know, it's really important to know when these things are coming up for you, when your vesting schedule is. We have a number of clients where they know stocks are vesting, so they up their 401k contribution at that time as another way to try to reduce their taxes, right? So if you're not maxing your 401k out, but you know you're getting these restricted stock that's going to vest, or you know you're going to exercise some op options, we may want to increase the 401k contribution to offset some of the tax impact of getting that RSU. Because with the RSUs, with the options, you have a lot of control over when you exercise that, right? So you have a lot of tax control with the restricted stock it just happens, happens automatically. So if you're having, you know, a lot, a number of those things vest, or you worked at a company for a long time, and those things have all continued to grow and stack on top of each other, there can be some pretty major tax bills that come to oh, yeah. that you want to really prepare for and look for things like increasing your 401k or a handful of clients. You know, if if charity is something that's important to you, gifting some of your shares that have appreciated to offset the tax hit again are ways that you can really try to reduce the tax impact of that. There's one other sort of unique strategy with restricted stock that can be used sometimes, you know, again, it's something you'll want to work with your CPA on, but there's what's called an 83 B election, which is where you can pay tax on the date that the stock is granted as opposed to the date that it vests. So depending on what you, th and it starts your long-term long capital gains, short-term capital gains clock sooner. So if you think there's going to be major movements with your stock price, or you're just someone who likes to know and have things done and know exactly what it's going to be, then using something like that 83B election can make sense. Now, the challenge there for a lot of clients is they have to pay the tax, but they don't actually have the stock to sell to get the cash for it. So you really got to make sure if you're going to do an 83B election because you owe that tax before you actually have the money, you've got to have the money somewhere else. You're taking a little bit of a risk there by doing taking that 83B election similarly with exercising options because if you pay the, that tax up front, and then the stock actually goes down before it vests. Now you've paid more taxes than you would have had to just by waiting. So making an election like that is something you really want to think about depending on 
you know, where you're at in a company or how much people know, how much you know about the, where the stock price is and what may be happening. Something you really want to make sure you think long and hard about because you never want to put yourself in a position where you pay the IRS more than oh, you have to. Oh, no, right? that would be awful. <laughs> we certainly don't condone avoiding taxes. You need to pay the taxes that you right. do, that you owe, but you never want to be put in a situation where you're paying more than you would have otherwise. Agreed. So, now, Wendy, after we went through all that restricted stock stuff, does that make any more sense to you? Yeah, sure. Okay. <laughs> it is. There is a lot to it. And it's something for sure. And we see this with our clients that if, you, if you've never been a part of a company that has a stock plan, that could have been in a different language. But if you are at a company that has a stock plan like this, these are things hopefully you're thinking about or and understand a little better. And then, of course... Part of the reason I have a job is because it only, oh, sure, makes sense to a lot of people, right? So <laughs> I think the key thing to take away, though, was, you know, keep in mind the tax implications and make sure that you're talking to people who know what they're talking about so that you do it right. Yes. Yep. That it's not about what you have. It's about what you keep, right? That whatever that old saying is, I might have just made it up, but. You don't even know minimizing the taxes to keep the most of this of these stocks or the most cash in your pocket as you can becomes the critical piece to all this. Okay. So these generous benefits, and I've seen this with a number of clients where they have a lot of money now tied up in their company stock that can pose a risk. So that's the other thing. The last piece here with these stock option plans, certainly want to. I would, if I had one, I, I wish I did. I'd be super grateful. It's a great way to, you know, grow your net worth and great way for these companies to really help their employees. But once you get to the position where the same company is paying your paycheck and the majority of your net worth is now also tied up in this company, you're pretty concentrated from a risk standpoint, which increases the risk. Now, there may be reasons that you're okay doing that because you feel strongly about the company and the stock. I just think, you know, the most recent example of this is probably Tesla. So if you work at Tesla and you have a lot of Tesla stocks and stock options, you know, the value of Tesla over the past 18 months has been all over the place, up, down 50% or more. And so not only is that company paying your paycheck, like I mentioned, but your net worth is really, really fluctuating. And, yeah. you know, if you're younger and maybe it makes a lot of sense, you're, that's fine. You can do that as you get older, you know, there's things you want to consider. So we typically at a high level, as we're looking at clients, asset allocation, we don't like to see any more than let's call it, it's maybe 10 to 15% of their net worth tied up in any one specific company. Now, because of the restrictions on restricted stock and the options, a lot of clients end up going above and beyond that, especially young when they're younger, early on. But as, as your financial picture grows, the, that's something to keep in mind. Is, does it make sense? Yes, there, I might pay taxes. There are things that I want to you know, make sure I do the smartest way possible. But... Do I have too much tied up in here? Are all my eggs in one basket? And does it make right. sense to maybe sell some of that restricted stock or 
exercise some options just to, and then go do and sell that stock and go do something else just as a way to diversify, right? Because if you do work at Tesla and now your net worth fluctuates by 50% every year, that can be really stressful for people and makes it hard to make some of these financial planning decisions. So as you're thinking about your situation, that's just something, you know, the last piece I wanted to throw in there to, to keep in mind. And that's something, again, you want to work with an advisor to make sure they're helping you minimize the taxes, but think about your entire financial picture and doesn't make sense to diversify away. So if you have any questions about your company's stock option plan or stock options in general, please reach out to us. You can find us at our website, www.wittenbergwealth.com. You can shoot me a text at 801-839-7056. And if you know somebody who's got stock options, you might as well send them this episode over as well so they can get the details. And please remember to subscribe to the Wealth of Insight podcast and share with your friends and family. Thank you for listening to the Wealth of Insight podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Investment advice offered through Stratos Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor. Stratos Wealth Partners and Wittenberg Wealth Partners are separate entities from LPL Financial. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Wittenberg Wealth Partners. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.